0: We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today, we'll be picking it up in verse uh, 12, and in, in, uh, in Luke we've been seeing Jesus uh, perform uh, miracles, we've seen him call people to himself, uh, we've seen Jesus call people to himself, um, Peter I think was, uh, was last week, and so um, we are reading this, this book called The Gospel of Luke, and it's a story about Jesus, and Luke wants us to see who this Jesus guy is. He's really writing it to his friend Theophilus, but uh, it's it's coming through Theophilus really to us. By the grace of God, we get to read this this scripture. And so the book of Luke is really just trying to explain to us uh, what, it, what it means to have faith, what it means to um, know this guy, Jesus. And so that's what we've been working on over the last little bit. And I think that it works very well with where we are as a church, with where we are as a, as a country, with where we are as, as people, uh, because I think that it, it, it's really incumbent upon us to really know and understand who this Jesus guy is. I think it's really important that we know and understand what he's like. And Luke kind of tells some stories that could almost seem repetitious because he's like, oh, and he's healing somebody again. Oh, and he's doing this again. Oh, here we go again. You know, like, Luke, you could have just said, and he healed a lot of people. And then we just move on from there. But Luke wants to show us, like, different facets of of Jesus and what he does and what he's like. And we also need to see this. Our problem can oftentimes be that we have this kind of superficial faith That doesn't really lead us anywhere and i don't know if anybody here feels like there's a sense in which like you've been coming to church for a while and like there's this idea that you have faith uh but it's it doesn't seem to be exercised in any way and sometimes you doubt and sometimes you're you're really just kind of struggling in some areas and then you have you know, a fight with someone at work, or maybe your marriage isn't going as well as you'd like it to, or what have you, and you're just like, you know, I'm a Christian. But it's, it's really just kind of this thing, this name, that's kind of imprinted over your life that says that you're a Christian, but it's, it's not really changing the things of your life. And so I think what Luke is kind of explaining to us today is this idea of how change, like, really takes place in us. And I think a lot of these sermons kind of lead to the same, the same place. Last week, we were talking about this idea of how Jesus like gets in the boat, and then he, he, he preaches a sermon, and then he tells Peter, who's been fishing all night, he tells him, hey, let's go out fishing. And Peter's like, I've been fishing all night, and I haven't caught a thing. And Jesus is kind of like, yeah, but I wasn't in the boat with you. Um, yeah, but you weren't listening to me, or that kind of thing. And so what we, what we asked last week is this is that is is jesus there to give you good suggestions is he there to give you advice or is what jesus says to you through his word is it life to you does it bring life to your person to to your life does it bring life to you it is, is submitting to the will of Jesus Christ in your life. Does it change who you are? And so this week, I, it, I think it's a nuanced way of looking at it, but this week I really wanna just explain to you like, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to actually listen to him and what does it take in that sense? Take a look at Luke chapter five. We'll pick it up in verse 12 here and we're going to talk about a leper and a paralytic. It says this While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him, Jesus charged the leper, to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more... The report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Just think about that for a second. What's easier? To say, your sins are forgiven. Or to say to somebody, is paralyzed, get up. You're healed. And so, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been li- what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, "We have seen extraordinary things today." Now, what we see in this passage are some really interesting uh, facets of of who Jesus is. Yes, we've seen him heal before a little bit in, in Luke. We've seen a, a little bit of this stuff, but we've kind of been introduced to a, a new facet, which is Jesus just kind of speaking out the reality that, like, I save people from their sins. And so that's something that's new today. But as I'm reading this passage, one of the things that I'm really seeing here is that I see these, uh, these two guys, and really there's, there's five guys total with the paralytic because they let him down through the roof. And we know from Mark chapter two that there were four men who were helping the paralytic. But there's two main guys who have, who have this kind of faith. They have this faith, and the, the faith is kind of overwhelming in a sense. It's overwhelming because they overcome great odds to then come up and see Jesus and have an interaction with him. If you were to look at the, uh, the leper here for just a moment. It says this. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. So this guy has leprosy. That is not just a, a small patch of this you know, rotting skin disease. It's also called Hansen's disease, which has nothing nothing to do with the boy band years ago, but uh, it's Hansen's disease. Uh, But he has leprosy, and it's not just a little spot here, like a little bit of, you know, like itchy stuff or something like that, but from head to toe. From head to toe, this man has leprosy. And if you know anything about leprosy from biblical times, what you would know is this, is that when somebody got leprosy, Uh, during biblical times, especially during Old Testament history and things like that, these people were ostracized in order to keep the rest of the community safe. And it was thought to be contagious. People say today that it's not contagious, but it was thought to be contagious at that time. It may not have been leprosy, uh, the, the disease that we know today as Hansen's disease. We're not entirely sure. But the truth is, is that these people were ostracized. They were ostracized so much that they had to live outside of the city. They had to tear their clothes. They had to wear their hair unkempt just so they could be seen, uh, you know, just perfectly well so that when they came into uh, the city, people would know. And they had to come into the city shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. So here's a person that knows full well that they are not liked in society and Even among their family, they are people who have not been uh, cared for very much. I mean, they could get them sick. I mean, who knows if if, if this is a man who has kids and he hasn't been able to touch his kids. He hasn't been able to hold them. He hasn't been able to uh, hug his wife. He hasn't been around friends and brothers and shake hands. He hasn't been able to touch anybody except a fellow leper. Here is a guy that knows that he is completely and totally outside of society he is a guy who's been ostracized no one has touched him for years can you imagine what that might feel like to be in that kind of a position as a person to have never had any type of physical touch to have never been uh, really spoken to with any kind of grace or mercy or anything, just a get away from me, get away from me, get away. I don't want to be around you. But what happens here is something that's amazing. It says this, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now look at what he says there. He runs, and who knows? I mean, the verses here are talking about how Jesus has a crowd around him, and Jesus has a crowd around him, and Jesus has a crowd around him. And so here he is. He's running through the crowd, and he must be saying, unclean, 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 beelining it for Jesus. It says in one of the other gospel passages, I can't remember which one, Matthew or or Mark, but one of the other gospel passages say Jesus is teaching in in Capernaum and as he's coming down the mountain, um, after he has taught, this is when he meets up with this leper. And so Jesus has just finished speaking. Now, no doubt, there's people who are trying to get a moment with them. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert or to some type of an event or something like that, but people want to get to know the speaker, something that touched their life. They healed him. Whatever it was, they want to talk to Jesus, and here comes the unclean man. He's saying, Jesus, Jesus, unclean, unclean, and it's like the, the waters are being parted. People are like, whoa, get away. And he comes up and he falls down. And the words there make it sound like he, he did a full-on prostrate on the ground, head to the ground, touching the earth, begging Jesus, saying, Jesus, it's not that I'm wondering if you can heal me. It's that you can heal me. And the only separation between me being healed and me not being healed is you simply willing to do so. You simply deciding... That you're going to heal me. Now what's amazing about this and what we've seen on several occasions is that Jesus controls all things. Jesus is in control of a fever. Jesus is in control of the demons. Jesus is in control of the fish of the sea. We'll see that he is in control of the weather. He's in control of physics. Whatever it is, Jesus is in control of all of those things. We see that. But I think what's really interesting about this is that you see a guy who comes up to Jesus and he has such incredible faith that he beelines it to Jesus, risking it all, risking it all. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, I know that you can heal me if you want to. And Jesus, in his incredible Compassion, verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And just think about that for a second. The whole Old Testament laws, there were Old Testament laws that governed Israel and how they dealt with a leper. To even put your head inside of the house, um, if a a leper were to put his head inside of the home of a non-leprous house. That home was now unclean and had to be whatever it was, had to be completely cleaned. This, there was this idea of uncleanliness that would take place. There's this idea of how um, the, the, the clean laws basically stated this that if you touch anything, if you go near anything that's unclean, if you're around anybody that's unclean, if you have relations at the wrong time, if you, whatever it is, like you can become unclean. And what happens is this is that the clean person becomes unclean. And so here's Jesus. And he walks up, and he knows all of the Old Testament law. And Jesus walks up, and he says, I will be clean. He stretches out his hand. And look at how the text kind of slows down there. It's just this happened, and that happened, and that happened. And then it's like it goes into slow-mo, and what you're kind of wondering, what is Jesus going to do in this moment? He's writing to Theophilus, and Theophilus has got to be thinking, Jesus would be crazy to touch this guy because we know that this is contagious, and you'd be unclean, and then as a result, you couldn't you know, go into the temple or, or whatever, or you might get leprosy, and you would never be able to go there. You'd never be able to touch your family. Jesus stretches out his hand, and he touches him. Think about the mercy. Think about the grace that's happening there. Look at the next passage. It says on verse 17, on one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law um, had come, it says going on a little further here, from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. So word about this Jesus guy has gotten out. And there's these religious people, very religious people, They're all about things happening according to what they believe the way that they should happen. They're teachers of the law. They're like Christian lawyers. They know the law inside and out. And so they can kind of correct people. They can kind of be uh, neatniks about all kinds of theological details and whether they're following the rules or not. And so these religious people show up at church one day, which just happens to be in someone's house. And Jesus is in this house, and he's sitting down, and these Pharisees and these teachers of the law as being, uh, you know, kind of uppity citizens during that time, they would probably have been sitting in a chair or something like that, but they were in a comfortable position. But everybody else is just jam-packed in there. Like there's, This is like a Bible study uh, that is, you know, that's on crack. I mean, like, it, it's a crazy Bible study. That's a terrible description of a good Bible study, but... Uh, it's, it's an amazing Bible study. And Jesus is sitting there, the Word incarnate. He's sitting there and he's laying out the scriptures and he's giving the Word of God, as it says. And it says that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So he's teaching these guys. And what happens? And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man, uh, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now think about this for just a second. Like they come to the Bible study and they're like, we got to get Bob here. Bob's the one on the uh, stretcher. Um, And we got to get Bob here into there because that's where the guy who's been healing people is. And we got to get him in there because then he's going to be healed. And so they, you know, they, they walk up to the, uh, to the Bible study, and they're like, oh, crud. Like, it is overflowing. They couldn't even get close to the door. Like, there's people everywhere. There's people outside they are just trying to listen to what Jesus has to say. They're trying to, they're trying to see, but they can't see because there's so many people who are trying to see. Like, why didn't they pick a larger house? Like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, but anyway, so Jesus is in there. The place is packed out. They're like, oh, crud, we can't get in there. And So during this time, uh, what would would be happening is this, is that many people built their homes, they had a flat roof on them, so they'd have these mud walls or stone walls, and then they'd have beams that were laid across those, and then they'd have kind of some more uh, sticks or, you know, all kinds of things on there, and they'd kind of plug up the holes, and then on top of that, they'd put another layer of clay or whatever. And we don't really know where the tiles come from unless they're referring to the clay as tiles or something like that. And so they have this roof that they have created. And often what they would have is they'd have an outside staircase or they'd have a ladder up on the side of the house. And so these guys are like, you know what? Let's go on up to the top here. Let's get on up to the top of this roof. And so they, they scurry up to the top there. They've got the guy there and they're like, dude, there's only one thing to do. Like, and I don't think I would have thought of this. Like... We got to put a hole in the roof. Like, it's just, it's just like that. And I don't know what they had, if they had like an ancient sawzall or something like that, if they're just like, Arr! you know, just like shaking and, and wh- whatever else. And can you imagine what's happening on the inside? Like, Jesus is sitting there like, so my first point is this, and then all of a sudden you know, stuff falling down from the the roof like this, and Jesus is is trying to teach through this, and it's like, it's it's a little crazy. Now, I mean, you might know that I get a little distracted, like when things are going on, people are walking around, whatever. Jesus, apparently, is just going straight through. He has no problem with teaching all of this racket. They're digging dirt off the top. They're pulling the branches out of the way. They're having to move some beams. There's stuff falling on these Pharisee guys, and they're like, what is going on here and then finally these guys they went and tracked down some rope and they're like all right here we go and you know, let this guy down and they lay him right in front of Jesus they lay him right in front of Jesus and so Jesus is sitting there and he's teaching and what he does is he realizes what's happening here he realizes what's taking place and so, what does he say? i got to find that verse here. He says, when he sees their faith, Jesus sees these guys, and he's not annoyed by the massive disruption that's taking place. He's not annoyed by the dirt and the sawdust and whatever else that was falling, but Jesus sees their faith, and he says, I and mean, he knows the guy's crippled. He says man your sins are forgiven and I'm sure the guy is a paralytic is like thank you Jesus I, re- I, I really do appreciate that I mean I, I, I uh, that's fantastic and all but I have got some current concerns and I, I don't know if you could tell but I didn't let myself down here uh, I am on a stretcher and it would be really helpful but what's Jesus doing Jesus is speaking in front of some religious leaders and he's showing who he is. He's showing who he is. And he's showing what we need. Which is that our biggest problem isn't that we have current issues in our life. Whether it be physical or mental or emotional or financial or whatever whatever else we can think of. Our biggest problem in life is that we have sin. Our biggest problem in life is that we're alienated from our relationship with God. And I think there's another part, too, here for this, which I like to think of Jesus in this way, and that is that he has these jokers that are sitting in front of him, these really churchy people, and he just wants to do something just to get under their skin a little bit, you know, I think. And he, so he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he just kind of sits back and just kind of goes, <laughs> What are they going to think about that? Oh, this is going to be so great. And they're like, who does this guy think he is? Like, this is blasphemy. Who does this guy think that he is? Only God can forgive sins. God alone, they say. So what do they recognize? They recognize something, and that is that Jesus is acting like God because he is saying that your sins are forgiven. And so what takes place there is that Jesus is basically telling them, I am God. And he affirms that in just a moment when he says, which is easier in verse 23 to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son has authority on earth to forgive sins Read that again. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What does Jesus want you to know? That you would know that the Son of Man, that's how Jesus refers to himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. And and that's that's his title for himself. We're not going to go into that right now. But he says, but that you may know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to prove it to you by healing this guy. My authority is not just in this area, but it's also in this area. If I can prove to you that it's in this area, then it's also in this area. And so he says, rise, get up and walk. And the guy does. He immediately like gets up and he walks out. And it's crazy. Now, what's, what, what's in it for us? Because you can look at that and you can just go... Man, that's a great story. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. That's awesome. It's really great. But what's in it for me? Like, how do I take that and put it into my life? Like, if you were sitting in your small group, in your outward community, and you guys were like, okay, what's this mean to us? I mean, like, Jesus is really powerful. Jesus is really great. But I think what's really amazing about this story here is this. Is that you have these unlikely people who come on the scene and they say, they bow down to Jesus and they beg him and they say, I know that you can heal me. And the only thing lacking is whether you will or whether you will not. But I'm begging you that you would heal me. Now, I don't know about you, but I want that kind of trust in Jesus. Jesus. Jesus I know that you can heal me. I know that you can make this different. I know that you can do you can change my circumstances. You can make things happen in my life. I know that you can heal my marriage. I know <clears throat> that you have the ability to do that. And the only question is whether you will or whether you will not. The guys and the, the paralytic who are, The guys are letting him down, and the paralytic who's being dropped down to the ground, he's coming in, and he's saying, the only thing that matters is whether I can get in there and just get to the feet of Jesus, because I know that if I get to his feet, if I get in front of this Jesus guy, if I get there, then I can have healing from him. Now, what's what's the issue here? Well, I think there's, there's three things that I want to tell you today about faith. See, the whole problem with faith is this, is that it's really hard to measure. It's really hard to measure whether I do have faith or whether I don't. So there's three things here. I wanna talk to you about the the problem of faith, the process, and the possibilities as a result of faith. And I know that's alliterated and all that stuff, and I don't normally do that, so it feels a little cheesy, but maybe you'll remember it more. But the problem. What's the first problem that we have with, uh, with faith? The first problem that we have is that we believe that somehow faith is confined to the beginning of the christian life we think that i had faith at one point and by that we mean i believed a series of facts about the person jesus christ someone told them to me perhaps at church at a camp meeting on a mission trip on the street a family member something like that i believed a series of facts and so therefore, I have faith in Jesus Christ. And so the problem is this, is that we, we try to work up this idea of faith. And we, we think about, I've got to have faith. Don't think about that song. Gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Don't think about that right now. The problem is we, can, we keep thinking like that song. We start thinking, I just need to focus on the idea that I need to have faith, and I need to have faith, and I need to trust, and why don't I trust? And we get into all kinds of issues and, and problems, and we say, why am I not trusting? God. Why am I not trusting in Jesus Christ? And so we try to focus on it, we try to focus on it, we try to focus on it. But it's, it's nebulous, it's elusive. And then Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. It is impossible to actually go after God and to seek Him unless I have faith. But the truth is, is that when I look at my life I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm adding to my faith more and more virtues. And the truth is, is that when I look at my life, when I look at my relationships, when I look at my marriage, I'm not sure that I'm getting better. Like if you really looked at your life, if you really accurately took an assessment, like when we ask you to to renew your membership, which we do every year, We ask you to walk through the idea of knowing the story of Jesus, loving his people, living according to his rule, meaning submitting to him. We we talk about how we give and we serve and we speak. We say, we want you to walk through your life and say, am I working well with this? Am I walking in truth? Am I hearing the word of God? Am I loving his people? And the truth is that many of us seem to be lacking on a regular basis. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but the truth is, is that we made a profession of faith, perhaps at some point, or maybe we've never made a profession of faith. Maybe we've never, we've never been able to get to a point where we say, I believe. Some of us have never been able to get to that point. I've, I, I just, I can't get to the point where I can believe, and it's like a credit card that hasn't been activated yet. It's like, I don't know the stinking 1-800 number. I don't know how to call it in and say, okay, let's do this, that kind of thing. It's just like, I can't get myself over the edge. See, the problem of faith is that it's elusive. And we think that it's just like intellectual agreement or simply an acknowledgement of a series of facts about who Jesus is, and what happens is this, is that, as it says in Ephesians chapter six, is that we do not have the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all of the flaming arrows, all of those darts that come from the enemy that cause doubt because we cannot exercise faith because faith came as a result of believing a series of facts. See, the problem of faith is that It might have been misused from the beginning. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, but I'm saying this, that your understanding of what it means to be a Christian may be seriously, seriously lacking. And the problem of faith leads us to kind of live unproductive, unfruitful lives. So what is the process of coming to faith, of walking in faith, of walking in faith on a a regular basis? What's the process of actually walking in the midst of faith and being able to exercise it on a regular basis? Well, here's the deal. Spurgeon said this, Think more of him to whom you look than of the look itself. Think more of this person... Jesus Christ, think more of him to whom you look than of, am I, am I doing this right? Do I have enough of it? Do you see what happens? Is that we treat faith like it's this thing, like, I've, I've got to have faith. I've got to have this, this idea of trusting. i got to trust. i got to trust. i got to trust. And the problem is, you're doing it wrong, and I'm doing it wrong. And what are we doing that's wrong? We are thinking more about our faith than we are about the object of our faith. See, faith has got to have an object. Faith always has to have an object. We have to have an object that we are looking at. Faith never points to itself. Faith is not the object in and of itself. And I remember as a, as a young guy, many years ago, trying to work up faith, I remember trying to say, man, I just, I wanna believe, I wanna believe, I wanna believe, and I couldn't seem to do it, and the, the problem with that was this, and that was that I was putting my hope in my ability to have faith and not in the one who my faith is supposed to be directed at. Think about this for just a second. Why did the leper have faith? Why did the paralytic have faith? Why did the leper lay it all on the line and say, You know what? I am am going to just go for it. I'm going to walk through town. I'm going to run to Jesus. I'm going to scream unclean, unclean, unclean. Well, two things. One is this, is that he knew from head to toe, he's totally messed up. What did the paralytic know? He's a paralytic from head to toe. He's messed up from head to toe. What's the other thing that they knew, the most important thing? They have been around Jesus. Luke keeps telling us in his gospel here, he keeps telling us over and over again, and he went over here and a great crowd followed him. And Jesus, rather than trying to like work up the crowd and turning into like a TV evangelist and, you know, going, you're healed, or something like this, and like, hey guys, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter or something like that, Jesus is like, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get away, I gotta pray to the Father. They have seen this guy, Jesus, everywhere, and they can trust him. They've seen the way that he operates. They've seen seen who he is and what he's like. The leper, perhaps, has seen Jesus from afar heal someone else and put his hand on on them to comfort them. He has seen these things. The paralytic has heard these things. What, What do they have that we don't have? They have experiential knowledge of Jesus they've seen how Jesus has worked in other situations in other people's lives they've watched him from afar they've understood who he is what do they have going for them they think more of him to whom they look than of the look itself the only thing that matters is Jesus whether you'll heal me or not that's the only thing. It's not whether you can, it's I know what you can do. I've seen it. The crowds have seen it. Everybody's seen it and we know that you can do this. This is what they have. And so you can try the power of positive thinking. There's all there're various schools of thought Lately, a few years ago, it was the, the secret, which is this idea of, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but this idea of, like, it, you have to imagine it in order to see good things happen in your life. Imagine good things, and good things will come to you. Or do good things to other people, karma, and good things will come back to you. That kind of a thing. It is working up the idea of, I, if I have this power of positive thinking, then good things will happen to me. But the scriptures don't teach this. The scriptures don't say, hey, if you're a full-blown leper, don't think of yourself as a leper. Think of yourself as someone else. The scriptures say this, you're a full-blown leper. Just come to the reality that you are completely messed up. You're a full-blown paralytic, and you don't have what it takes to get to Jesus. you got to have faith in him, and you got to have friends that are leading you to Jesus. It's not about positive thinking. It's not about anything, it is about this God. Psalm 46, chapter verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear through, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge, I can run to him. I see it in Jesus. It's not about me. And what I can do, it's not about the volume of my faith. It is about the person whom I am following. It is about that person, Jesus. But you know what happens in our lives here? Satan has these flaming darts that come at us. Why don't we act like this? Why does this process get short-circuited? And it's basically because we constantly have these problems that pop up in our lives that keep us from just saying, you know, this isn't about Jesus. This is about my, my personal life. In fact, uh, Chuck Swindoll, if I can find this quote here, where did I put it? Oh, yes. Just a list of things. Doubts, defeating thoughts, discouragement, depression, fears, subtle curiosity, imaginations and exaggerations, hopelessness, guilt, shame, confusion overly concerned about other people's reaction, greed, lust, pride, presumption, unrealistic expectations, mental anguish, suspicions, and simply just not trusting. The darts from the enemy that come at us. See, our faith, it doesn't just affect our relationship with Jesus. What the scriptures teach us is that when I become a new man in Christ, when He touches me, and instead of my filthiness, my lack of cleanness coming to Him, He gives me His holiness. He gives me righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. He gives me what He has. Instead of instead of it, the other way around in that sense, even though that does happen. Jesus gives me his holiness. Now, I am holy before God, even though as I operate in this life, I do not do everything right or correct. And so what happens is this, from this, from this list here, that doubts sneak their way in, and defeating thoughts. And what we, what we say is this, I gotta stop doubting. I, I, got, I gotta stop doubting i got to stop these defeating thoughts, and so I'm going to go to this other line of thinking and just think positively. Just think about the power of positive thinking. I'm going to not think about discouragement. I'm just going to try a little harder to not be greedy or lustful or prideful. I'm just going to do all those things, and the problem is, is that that is thinking about faith itself instead of thinking of the one. See, the process of coming to faith and walking in faith is the same. The process of coming to faith and walking in faith is to think more of him to whom you look than of the look itself, to look at God as your refuge, to look at him as the one who can change the things in your life. When you have sin in your life, when you have a marriage that's falling apart, when you have desires that you don't know what to do with, when you, have, when you have what it ultimately comes down to is it comes down to a lack of faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we, how do we change that? You have to look at Jesus. You have to, you have to see him. You have to look at the the possibilities, John 6, 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus said this. Jesus is saying to you, he's saying, "I, I will never drive you away. I'm never gonna leave you, I'm never gonna forsake you. See, some of you, your dad left, or your mom left, or your spouse left you. And you walk through life with fear that someone else is going to leave me. Someone else is going to walk away. And you respond out of that hurt in your life. And the truth is this, is that the one relationship that matters the most is that if you have security in Christ, and the security is this, that Jesus, as the one who loves you the most and the best, will never cast you out. He didn't cast out the leper He didn't cast out the paralytic. He takes you whole. He takes you as you are. And he gives you his cleanness. He cleans you. John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what happens when you believe that? Well, there's the possibilities of faith. What are the the possibilities that happen? The possibilities are this. Again, John 1.12, we become children of God. We become people who do not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. We become people who are not condemned. We become people that have this incredible trusted friend in jesus christ john 6 37 oh actually i already said that john 7 37 on the last and greatest day of the feast jesus stood and said in a loud voice if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 come to me all who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Get to know Jesus. What are the possibilities that happen when you get to know Jesus? It's that you have rest, that you have peace with God. And do you know what happens as a result? The doubts begin to fade because you know the person, Jesus Christ. Why did the leper run to Jesus? Why did the paralytic go through all of that work to get to Jesus? Because they knew him. They'd seen him. They'd experienced him. Do you know him? Have you seen him? Have you experienced him? Have you looked in the word, the Bible? Have you read the Bible? Are you listening to the word of God teaching you about Jesus? Or are you listening to what someone else has said about Jesus? Are you processing what is being said to you? The possibilities are endless. Because of this, when you know the person, Jesus Christ, and you see what he's like, you're going to run to him. You're going to beg him for his healing. And he's going to answer. I'm not going to promise you that he's going to answer in the way that you want him to. But he answers one way or the other. He answers. When you seek him, when you know him, it says in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And what's that saying? It's saying this. Jesus is not waiting for you. That's to Christian people. Jesus is standing at the door. He's at the door of your heart, and he is knocking. And he is knocking, and he is knocking, and he's saying, I want to come in, and I want to have relationship with you. I'm not this overbearing God that just wants to condemn you. I'm giving you the opportunity for life. I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking, and won't you let me in? And why don't we let him in? It's because we don't know him. He's a stranger at the door because we don't know him. So the possibilities are endless. The possibilities are this, that your marriage might be healed. The possibilities are that you may not find your true value and your true worth in your finances or the house that you have. Or how much you work because Jesus is the one that you look to as your savior. Your faith is in him and it's not in all of these other things. And so then when you know him, you would know that he has the authority to take away sins and that he has the authority to heal. And as a result, life changes for you. why did life change for those guys? Because they knew Jesus. Do you know him? He gave everything for you. He went to the cross, he was crucified, and he loves you intensely. Maybe you're in this place where you just have never really put faith in Jesus. You say, I just don't have faith, I'm not a person of faith. Have you actually looked at Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's like? I encourage you, investigate him in the scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four stories about Jesus. Get to know Jesus. God says, this is how I've revealed myself to you. It's through my word, but primarily in the person of Jesus Christ that you get to find out who I am. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I believe, I believe that there's uh, many of us in here that uh, struggle with the idea of faith. Like there was a, an assertion of faith at some point in our life. But Lord, that idea of faith is not driving us to who Jesus is, uh, to who you are on a regular basis. Lord, it's, it's something that happened in the past. It's not something that sustains us. So Lord, I pray that you would bring about a realization that uh, you are able to, to infect and be a part of every area of our life. You are able to heal us in the most remote places of our hearts and of our minds. And Lord, you can change things in us. So Lord, I pray that for every person in this room, no matter where they are on their faith journey right now, Lord, I pray that they would think more about you than about just their exercise of faith, but they would, they would press into you, that they would look to you, that they would know you as a result. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.